Thank you for joining us, everybody, the people here in person and the people watching online. We're dealing with a fascinating and very important topic today. It's really a continuation of what we said two weeks ago, which families we should marry, because the most important choice that you make in your life is your soulmate, how good your children will be and your whole eternity is dependent on who your spouse and soulmate is. And that's why from when your child is born, you should pray for that child's soul that they should find a good and wholesome soulmate. Like the Sefer Hasidim says. But today I wanted to still talk about that a little, but get into the engagement process, the laws of who, when you do get engaged to, how to plan a kosher wedding, and which laws do the fiancés, the engaged couple, have to be very worried about, and how they should set up their wedding, that it should be a blessing, and not, God forbid, the opposite. I once just wanted to start off, this is such an important idea, close to my heart, and I was overjoyed that, the chief rabbi of Israel, Rabbi Yitzchak Yosef Shalita, talks about it in his wonderful work, Sova Sevamchot, Yalkut Yosef, page 26. The first idea I want to start with is something that I know three personal friends of mine and congregants, and that is, there are certain marriages that are destined to be doomed. And one of these is when a religious, observant Jew marries a non-observant Jew. Now, why do I say this? Never in the history of mankind did we have so much divorce was prevalent. Now, you put in another monkey wrench where one of the people are observant, one of them is not, it's going to be a very... point of tension. Even so much so that, let's say there's this wonderful girl, she's been observing her entire life, a Prince Charming doctor comes along where we know how much the Persian Jewish community loves doctors and surgeons, and he says, you're such a wonderful girl, I'll promise, I swear that I'm going to become religious because of you. Well, you know, words are cheap, and it really makes me want to cry because I saw three people's lives get destroyed. And you know, the worst people that get damaged by divorce are the poor children, right? Because they're between Shamayim Ba'aretz. They have no sense of serenity and comfort because one day they're with their father, one day with their mother. So he also says that a word to the wise if some people do not change, if the person you're dating is promising you that he's going to become observant and he's not, you can't believe him. Actions speak greater than words. As a rabbi, as somebody that, you know, I try to love all the Jews and make sure people don't fall into a trap, 
what happens is the the fiance and the person that you're dating may have the best of intentions to become religious and promise, promise. But you know, many promises have been broken since the dawn of time. And I know three cases that it ended up in divorce. You know why? Because the person didn't perform, right? He promised, he swore, I'm going to become religious for you, honey, right? And then when they got married, the nightmare began. He said, you have to drive to my parents' house on Shabbat, get into a car, let's go to non-kosher restaurants. I don't want to have kids. If my kids have to go to public school, they can't go to religious, you know, school. And it was just, it ended up in divorce. I know three different cases, you know, being a matchmaker also. So just go look at how, um, you know, we said a few weeks ago that the uh, you should never marry the daughter or a family of ignorant Jews that really don't know nothing. This is 10 times worse. A person that is observant and somebody that's not, the proof is in the pudding. If the person want, if they want to get married, then let the other spouse that is not religious practice orthodoxy and observant Judaism for a year, right? And then actions speak greater than words, but promises always are broken. And it's just so painful to see that, you know, people at a ripe and young age, they spend a ton of money on the wedding. And then they go through the nastiest experience in their life, which is divorce, because they did not know this fact that we should only be dating observant people. Observant people should be dating observant people. And uh, I know three personal cases where it ended up in a disaster. The guy didn't want to give the divorce. He didn't want to give the get. But... um I just also want to bring out, I have a whole video I made on this four years ago, but I want to go back to this idea. Another big no-no, people that should not get married, because it end, it's even going to end up worse than divorce. It could end up in death. Is the Talmud on page 49 says that a uh, ignorant Jew that knows nothing about the details of Jewish law should not marry a female Kohen. Because a female Kohen is extra holy. She's from the tribe of Aaron. And the original rabbis, original preachers and teachers of Torah was which tribe? The tribe of Levi, right? They wouldn't work. They weren't pay- playing golf the whole day. They were trying to get people to learn Torah. So it's very dangerous. The Gemara, I know three personal cases that ended up divorced. And it could even be much worse. If a person is not observant, or does not learn Torah on a daily basis, he should not marry the daughter of a Kohen. Now, if the daughter of the Kohen is not religious, and he's not religious, it's much less of a problem. It really isn't all that problem, but it has a lot to do with the first issue I was talking about, where the daughter of the Kohen has been blessed by her godly lineage, And that's a no-no. And I want to give another disclaimer here for the male Kohens. We know that, thank God, we're living in a time 
which is a big sign of Mashiach, where we have unlimited amount of Baal Teshuvah, people that were totally, they knew nothing about Judaism, now they're fully religious. They were totally non-observant. They didn't know what the word Torah means. They didn't know what Bracha means, right? And Baruch Hashem through Eishat Torah, Chabad's doing great work, or Sameach. It's uh, it's just amazing the the rabbis that are on the college campuses, and you know it's just wonderful. But there is a major problem again. I had to deal with this in a very direct way. Rabbi Liashiv holds. We know the Torah clearly states that a Kohen is not allowed to marry a prostitute. Now, the definition of a prostitute is not our definition of a prostitute. Any Jewish girl which has slept with a non-Jew in the eyes of the Torah is a zona. And it's forbidden for a Kohen to marry such a woman. So Rabbi Yashif says that any woman that's a Baal Tshuva, and especially she's lived in a college dorm, there is a strong probability that she had... extracurricular activity in the bedroom with non-Jews. Now, if she swears and promises that all her boyfriends were Jewish, then it's not a problem. But for Kohanim to marry Baalei Teshuvot, women that were not observant and now observant, and especially they were in college dorms, uh, it's just like a Kohen marrying a divorced woman, which is absolutely forbidden. That's a very cautionary tale that the rabbi also that wants to officiate the wedding has to make sure. Uh, of course, uh, it baffles me also that, you know, the rabbis, We I, I was uh, once upon a time the secretary of the Persian Rabbinical Committee, and again, every rabbi was saying their horror story. I, I'm telling you, this idea of observant and ob- not observant people getting married and people breaking their promises and the daughters of Kohanim marrying people that are really not uh, knowledgeable in Torah are Amharets, and again, this problem is it's also a big, big warning and cautionary sign that the rabbis, unfortunately, sometimes are not paying attention. And you know, you want to bless a couple and make a wedding that God willing, it's going to be they're going to be soulmates. And like we said in Iran, and I didn't know, I had a British congregant, they say, you come with the white dress and you leave with the white dress, right? Where in the ideal world, we want them to have a blissful and happy life forever and ever with many happy children. So those three cases that I told you are problematic because there are either forbidden or very, very dangerous under Torah and Talmudic and Halachic law. Now let's say Mazel Tov. We're going to, the second part of the class we are going to be dealing with what? The laws of how to plan a wedding and the laws of how a um, engaged couple should conduct themselves. Dober, can you give me that book I brought from home? So anyways, we want to start with the Yalkut Yosef that um, says a very, very important idea. And that is... Again, another case I had with somebody in the community, which I was very, very disappointed in. Rabovadia Yosef, I beg you, please go look this up. It's volume one of Yechavedat. His responda, which is very short and sweet and concise. 
כשובה ממחת. ואז רבי עובדיה יוסף, whether you can get married in the month of Elul, right? There's a month where we Sephardic Jews, we wake up four or five in the morning, we say Selichot, right? It's the month that we blow Shofar, the Ashkenazim. It's the month right before Rosh Hashanah. Now, unfortunately, there are many Mashkichim, deans, dean of students of rabbinical colleges, which they, 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 um, they say it's not good. Get married after Sukkot. It's not looked positively and recommended among some rabbis that are in the yeshiva. They recommend it for their students to not get married in the month of Elul. And when you can't get married in the month before Rosh Hashanah, then you have another two weeks of holidays, right? So basically the wedding is going to be postponed by six weeks. And why is this important? Because many couples, my friends, they date in the summer, right? People that are in college, becoming doctors, lawyers, or in yeshiva. Summer is the time where people are off in the month of Av. And a lot of people get engaged when? In the late summer. So they asked Rav Avadiyah Yosef, what is the Sephardic and even more the halachic ruling? Should one get married in the month of Elul or not? And actually, my own mashkiach from Neri Straw, one of the deans, he was not so happy with me, Rabbi Eisman, he should be alive and well. But I told him that Ravavadia, I got married in Elul. My wedding anniversary is the 17th of Elul, exactly almost two weeks before Rosh Hashanah. And Ravavadia Yosef says, absolutely no problem, and it would be a big fat mistake to delay your wedding. And his son, of course, concurs with his father's ruling, because he says, Barur hadavar lelo safek shen kol chashash. He says there's no logical reason to delay the greatest mitzvah, the first mitzvah of the Torah, which is to be fruitful and multiply for six weeks. Because he says, you have to know, one of the greatest Sephardic rabbis in the last hundred years, which had a uh, photographic memory, was Rabbi Yecheskel Madani. He's buried in the city of Hebron. And actually, when Rabbi Yosef, our prince of Torah and Talmud came along, the Rosh Yeshiva of Wayu, Rabbi Yosef Ber Salavechik said, Rabbi Yovadia Yosef that also had a photographic memory, he was like a modern version of the Stechemet. The Stechemet wrote basically an encyclopedia on all the topics of the Talmud. And he is considered to be a giant of Torah. He himself got married in the month of Elul. So Rabbi says, our great, one of our greatest sages that was a photographic memory. He, he really wrote an encyclopedia because he, he was such a great mind. Without a computer, without the Bar Ilan or all the modern apps nowadays. And he says, first of all, actions speak greater than words. The Stechemet writes himself you could go look it up if you have the book in chapter 23 on the topic of Chatan and Kala. He says that I got married in the month of Elul. 
And he said, all the giants, all the leaders of Judaism, all the greatest rabbis of Israel were at my wedding. All the chief rabbis of Israel, all the greatest Torah scholars of Israel were at the Stechemet's wedding. And they were very happy. Nobody of them, nobody, nobody had told the Stechemet, Rabbi Yechezkel Madani, that it was mistaken for him to get in, married where? In the month of Elul. Because actually, and he says, whoever tells you that it's not recommended is a big, it's a big uh, fundamental mistake. And he said that this has been the custom of especially Sephardic Jews. There was never anybody in the history of Sephardic Jews which would be reluctant to get married in the month of Elul. And then Rabovadia goes on and says even a bigger, even a much bigger chidush. And that is, he says, something which is unbelievably Amazing. He says, even in the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which are very auspicious days, right? Those are the days where um, I had a great uncle that would fast all of those 10 days and it's the days that everybody plays Selichot. It's the time that God is the closest to us. Look at what Ravadia writes. He says, if the groom is over 20 years old, he should even not delay. And if that's the time that he can get married, he should get married. You know why? Because the Talmud, we gave a whole class on this four or five months ago. The Talmud, what age under Jewish law should one be married by? So there's different opinions. Some say at the latest, you could, you should be married by 24, 25. Some say at 20. But, the opinion of Rav Avadia Yosef is very clear when you read this responda and his son, the chief rabbi of Israel. The age is 20. Once you hit 20, the Talmud says, if you don't have a good reason not to get married, God curses you. And he says, your bones should explode. Tipoch atzmotav. Because there's a reason here. The Gemara says, if you... Listen, the architect that created us knows that we, the desire for having sexual desires is a is a the most basic necessity it's not like almost like eating and once you're at 20 if god forbid you start having fantasizing and having the thoughts of it the talmud says all of your life you're going to be addicted to that so ravavadia says this this has been written 2000 years ago in the talmud where there was so much modesty today where people Especially in LA, it's a disaster where people do not believe in clothing anymore. And it's unfortunate to say, it's, it's very, very heartbreaking that our society has lost the virtue of modesty. Nobody is ashamed of wearing anything anymore. And it's even become part of our Persian culture. So he says, the danger of having bad thoughts that are going to lead to, God forbid, shikhvat zelal which are bad uh, dreams and wet dreams, which is, you know, it's forbidden for a man to waste his semen. It, he says, Rabbi says something, I didn't know this. I studied this many years ago. He says, even in the 10 days 
between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, if you're over 20, they should not delay. They should get married. And this is something to understand that there's another wonderful, wonderful author for engaged couples that want to learn more about Jewish marriage, Rabbi Zakai, which is a Persian rabbi. He wrote a wonderful work called Chupave Kedushin. He brings something from the uh, Rab- Mordechai Sharabi. Mordechai Sharabi was the greatest expert in the science of Kabbalah. And he was the teacher and mentor of ya- Rabbi Yaakov Hillel, which is right now universally accepted as one of the leaders and biggest experts in Kabbalah. Rabbi Mordechai Sharabi, I'll read for you verbatim. He said that once they get engaged, they should sarich laasmich et achatuna tekefumiyad lemoed gemara shiduch. They should make it as quick as possible after the engagement to set up the wedding date. It should be a matter of days, not a matter of one year later or six months later. Because he says that the boy and girl, once you get engaged, you have so much feelings, right? You're you're on a cloud nine, and we don't want them, God forbid, to fool around during the engagement part, right? Because premarital sex is the biggest sin. It's very wrong. I'm going to read for you from the crazy place, Rabbi Yonis and Ibishitz, what he writes about this. But to fool around, you know, the most dangerous evil inclination is not where something is black and white. Because then you know it's wrong, right? This is wrong. The gray zone. The Satan tries to rationalize that this is... He's going to tell you, oh, you're getting married anyway, so you could fool around with her. And this is forbidden because we know any woman that did not go to the mikveh, that's over 12, 13 years old, you have to die, give your life. It's like marrying with... The same way we have to sacrifice our life and never sleep with a married woman, halachically... If they put a gun to your head, you can, you can, you have to die and not sleep with a woman that's nida, that hasn't gone to the mikveh. So this is very serious stuff. And therefore, the Rab Mordechai Sharabi, which was just a tremendous, tremendous tzaddik, anybody that's read about his biography knows that whoever he would bless, he was just like angelic and he says, he says that it's gonna cause them to have a wonderful life together when they get married quickly within a matter of days after the wedding. And also, he says that, like the Rebbe from Lubavitch said, had encouraged his Hasidim, we know Mashiach, for Mashiach to come, there's a certain amount of Jewish children, souls that have to be born, come down the, the pipeline into this world. And Ben David Ba, So, for all these different reasons, it's very, very clear that the sooner this in, you engage couple, get married, the better. Because, again, I want to bring out another wonderful, wonderful idea, which when I was learning in the Yeshiva Neri Sral in the Kolel, I had a wonderful Chavruta, Rab Mordechai, and we were learning the laws of Nida, and you know that I gave a class on this exactly a year or two ago about Shomer Negiyah. Shomer Negiyah is that the two sexes in Judaism 
are not allowed to touch each other. Which means, if you look at that class, I could put the link at, at the bottom of my notes here for those that would want to watch this because this class has a direct relationship to that. It is very, very important to know that Ravavadya writes that even in a business and professional setting, we are not allowed to shake hands from a woman. The Rebbe from Lubavitch would say a beautiful reason why. He would say when a, when a, when a mayor or president or a very honorable person would come and try to shake his hands, he would tell them, I'm sorry. In my religion, I'm only, the only woman I'm allowed to touch is my wife or my wa- daughter or, or, um, children obviously, but obviously he would say his wife. And that comes to show that this physical touch is such a beautiful bond that could only be done between a husband and wife. And if we look at that class, obviously, if you don't want to embarrass the person, you could get it, you could give it, they call it the dead fish handshake, right? Where you put out your hand, you don't, you're like a dead fish. That's questionable whether that's permitted or not. It's better not to do that. But there's a big problem where, again, people that get engaged, even though they're super observant, both the bride and the groom, they, you know, every second, every stage of our life, we have different evil inclinations that tries to um, take us off the godly path and take us to the path of sin. And this is something, again, just because you got engaged to a woman, first of all, the engagements that we make nowadays are basically worthless. Under Jewish law, it's not like you gave a ring. They could, you know, it's a dime a dozen. It happens every day where a girl and boy, they get engaged, and then the in-laws, for whatever reason, they get in a fight over how to make the wedding and who wants to give what, and they break off the what? The engagement. So she's not your wife till you go under the chuppah. So there's no difference. The same way you wouldn't touch or hug a regular random woman if you wanna, if you're interested in actually trying to keep halacha, then you should definitely not hug or kiss or shake hands of your fiance. It's absolutely forbidden under halacha. And I want to read from you one of the greatest sages in the Ashkenazi world. Rabbi Yonasan Eibeshitz, he wrote the Kresiu Plesi, the Kreti Pleti, is a wonderful monumental commentary on Yoredeah, the second volume of Jewish law, Shulchan Aruch. Look what he writes. We know, like I said before, according to the Rambam, that the Shulchan Aruch follows, to even come close and hug women that you're forbidden to sleep with, women that are not your wife, is forbidden not from rabbinic law, but from Torah law. Because in the Torah it says, Lo tikrevu legalot elva. Do not even come close to revealing naked nudity, to be proximity. So therefore it's saying that 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 we're not allowed to hug and kiss random women that is not our spouse is forbidden under Torah law. And this, the crazy writes a wonderful thing. He says, He says, there's a terrible custom in Europe, in my city, that I see. And woe to us that we have sinned. 
He says, Asher, Nashak, Vechabek, Hatan, Vakala. Just because two couples get engaged, which under halacha is not irusin, it's shiduchin. It's just the promise that we're going to get married under the chuppah. Halachically, they're not husband and wife. It's, he says they go kiss and they hug. And obviously she's not gone to the mikvah, the bride, your fiancé, and you're hugging and kissing her, and everybody's fine and dandy with that. And the mother-in-law and the father-in-law and all the families. Besides the fact that such things can cause the groom to be aroused and God forbid lead to him wasting his seed, right? Because obviously there's a beautiful book written by Gila Mandelson, The Magic Touch, why he explains that the Torah forbids you from touching or hugging any other person besides your spouse. But it says that And he says, that is just such a big fundamental mistake, Rabbi Yonasan Ibishitz writes. He says, I hold that you have to risk your life and not hug a woman when she's a nida. Because, again, according to the Maimonides and the Shulchan Aruch, to come close to a nida is the same thing. And there's the idea, my friends of Azabrayu de Arayus. This is such a hard uh, idea for people to digest, but Basically, what it says is that not only is it forbidden to have actually sexual in- intimacy with a married woman or with a nida, but if let's say this is a law in Shulchan Aruch, if a person says he has some mental illness or psychological illness, which if he does not see, gaze and stare at a married woman or even a virgin, a non-married woman, he's going to die. Can he go hug her and kiss her and look at her? Or if he doesn't do that, it's going to cause him to perish. It says, the Gemara says, we're not allowed to let that happen. So, Rabbi Yonasan Arvish says that this is the reason that we, Mashiach hasn't come. Because we're not careful in the laws of Nida. Arichata galut, I've done holy cell. The glory of the Jewish nation, which we are God's chosen nation, has been lost. Because in the ultimate world, right, no Israeli soldier should die. Right? If we are the chosen nation and we are God's firstborn, then God should, like it says in the Torah, watch us like the apple of His eye. But one of the reasons why we're in this dangerous predicament and Mashiach hasn't come is because we don't follow the laws. And he says it's terrible that the great rabbis of the generation see this and they don't make any comment. You know? And he says, And then he goes and continues that it's just so bitter to him, this predicament. So what we're trying to bring out is that the, same, the laws of Shomer Negiah, of not touching the opposite sex, especially... The fiancé has to be very um, worried and vigilant not to do that. 
And then a second thing that they have to be very um, careful about is the law of Yichud. We know you're never allowed to be in a secluded place with the opposite sex. And obviously it's much more dangerous when you are fiancé. You have to go prepare with the wedding. And, you know, in the best case scenario, if you invite your son-in-law, your future son-in-law over your house, he shouldn't sleep in the same house as his fiancé, as your daughter. He should go sleep in a neighbor's house. Because they have to be extra vigilant for them not to do any hanky-panky before the marriage. And, um, you know, again, there's nothing like being a rabbi and people telling you, I was shocked. My cousin told me one of his cousins, a girl that was super religious, and she was older. She got married in her 30s, where traditionally the Jewish girls get married in their 20s. She got her, her fiance took her on a weekend and they had premarital, you know what. So obviously we're talking that it's a serious problem. And may Hashem help us that all the weddings be planned smoothly, but you should know when you follow the Jewish law in the long run, it may be hard 